The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 379. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Guess what? This is the show I belong on? This is a big show. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, you've been on all our shows pretty much this week. <laughs> I kind of poked my head into all the ones that I'm not supposed to be on. Well, this, I'm glad you're here for this one. Uh, this is a big Linux action show. We went to Huge. LinuxCon 2015 right here in Seattle, Washington, and we walked away with a little surprise, actually, something that we didn't quite expect, and some great interviews. We're going to play those for you and give you a little idea of what it's actually like to visit a LinuxCon. Hopefully, it's uh, an experience of visiting LinuxCon like we've never been able to convey on the show before. Also, coming up in the news segment, we got some big, big stories to jump into. Noah was so excited about one of these, he made it the top story, and you might like it too. We'll tell you about it here in just a moment. I'm going to just leave it at that tease. I can't believe Google's new Linux-powered router, how That's crazy cool. cool this thing looks. We're going to talk about the OnHub, and it is actually really neat. And then you might have heard about Munich. They're having some problems with good old Limux. And... uh we're going to talk about why they might be switching to Windows laptops. And then our friends over at GOG have a surprise for us Linux users. And Noah's first and finally tablet that might stick with him, not your first tablet ever, but one that finally sticks, the Yalu tablet, is available for pre-order. We're going to get you the prices, the information, and all of that. Then after that's the feedback. But first, Noah, you know what? It's the picks. <laughs> it is the picks. This is a really big show. And so I wanted to start with a viewer-submitted pick this week. I love it. It was sent in by Anton. And uh, Anton wrote in, and he said, I visited the science, the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago recently, and one of the exhibits was about robotics. I spotted one of the robots that recognizes faces, and it appears to be controlled by Linux. And we have a picture of it in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. And it's pretty neat, Noah. You can see it's running like KDE, maybe even Plasma. If you mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it's, looking for, uh, it's looking for faces, and it gives you, like, when it detects it and how long it took. It, this, this reminded me about the time... That I was in the, um, I think I think it was a Bed Bath and Beyond of mm-hmm, all places, mm-hmm. and they had a display for like this whole set of toaster ovens, toaster ovens, toaster ovens, and like there was there was a vertical plasma screen, and they had like uh, like the information about the toaster ovens, and they had like an infomercial playing on the top half of the screen, and as I'm standing there, boop, the whole thing just go, drops, drops down to a terminal and reboots on me, and boots up into some old Linux, and then boop, restarts the, yeah, the playback. Yeah, they're always old, aren't they? And I was like, whoa, whoa, and I was just looking at this thing, and I remember thinking to myself, really? They made a display for toaster ovens? Like, I'm sitting here being that mm-hmm. guy, and then to see it just boot into Linux like that, it was like, whoa, that was a... That was a pretty surprising moment. You ever had one of those where you're out in public and that's Linux? So I start, uh, and I know you do the same thing. I know you're, you were looking at that guy's laptop that has mm-hmm. Windows on it. And, and so I do the same thing. If I go into a store, I look to see what yeah, operating system they're yeah. running. And so I, I, I'm sure everyone knows Lowe's is a wide user of Linux. Um, they all have KDE and, uh, on, their, on their computer, their checkout kiosks. And I, uh, I have started to look now when I see displays now when i look at actual computers i'm often disappointed a lot of times it ends up being windows but i'm actually pleasantly surprised <laughs> yeah, actually pleasantly surprised at how many times i look at it in an embedded device or or a um you know a screen or a kiosk or yeah. something like that and or like a point of Linux. point of sales device or something like that um where we were just at uh oh shoot we were just at uh some some store we were just at was running linux and i was wondering if you caught it i'm always checking it out when i go into yeah. stores and so if you catch one out there audience member you can just uh, take a picture on your uh, smartphone or whatever and then send it and give us a little description and email to linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Or, uh, like Anton did, you can upload it to um, Imager 
and sent us the link. He also sent us in a, a note about uh, uh, System76. He, he says uh, he got a Meerkat to replace his HTPC. The Meerkat's that tiny little unit. Yeah. That's really great. That's really cool. So he had some good, he had good experience with them, too. Uh, so thanks, Anton, for sending that in, and we'd love to see your runs links. If you catch them in the wild, let us know. Uh, I'm going to try to double down on that. I don't know why, you know, back then it was so long ago, I don't even think I, I mean, I'm sure I must have had a phone that had a camera then, but. I think part of it is that it's just not hard to find if you're looking for it. Yeah. Um, Delta on the back of all their planes, all yeah, their yeah. infotainment centers. That's the one we get all the time. Yeah, but, but I guess what I'm getting at is, like, every time I turn around, something else is running Linux. And so the reason that you probably aren't capturing it is because you don't have to look real hard. It just it comes up everywhere, and I'll I'll snap a picture of it. I I was at a I think it was a Burger King a couple of weeks ago, and the same thing. It crashed. It was the menu system up at the top, and it was all running Linux. Yeah, yeah, Burger King, huh? Oh, very good. Well, you know, if you wanted to run your own Linux machine, you could always head over to our sponsor. That's DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, and you'll get a ten dollar credit. You can spin up a DigitalOcean droplet two months for absolutely free because DigitalOcean starts at only five dollars a month. Now, you might not know what DigitalOcean is, so I will tell you. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own Linux rig. Or maybe FreeBSD if that's how you roll. DigitalOcean is all Linux powered. Their whole infrastructure runs Linux. They use the KVM virtualization on top of that. They've got some great Linux rig. And they do SSDs throughout the entire stack. In fact, they double down on that every time they deploy a new set of servers. They make sure they get the best SSDs possible, the best connections possible. And think about this. You can get your own Linux server spun up in less than 55 seconds, and the pricing plan's $5 a month for the base. Five, that's, that's only, that's, I, I'm, I'm trying to put in that because, you know, we go out to lunch down in downtown Seattle. You can't even get, you can't even get a drink for $5. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's for the entire month. And you get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations to please you. They got some in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and gorgeous one in Germany. And the interface for DigitalOcean is really, really fantastic. It's, it's intuitive, but yet very powerful. It doesn't make it, they haven't watered it down. And you can replicate the functionality of it with their API. And then you can take advantage of that, or you can use some of the apps that already do take advantage of that. And they have a lot of good tutorials. And just get started by using the promo code LASTDIGITAL, and then go spin up a DigitalOcean droplet. No, do you remember what one of the most recent droplets you spun up was? The most recent droplet I spun up was for the Airtime server that I thought we might have to oh, yeah. double up on. You know, that, so one, that's a good example of something when we think, uh, hey, you know what, we might, uh, we might need to, oh, I don't know, have a backup air, air, uh, um, IceCast server during our uh, unplugged live coverage at LinuxCon. And so the, the cost to have a backup server is yeah. so minimal over yeah, DigitalOcean. I actually forgot I had it until now. And actually, you know what? You know what the other one I forgot? I did one after that. After we talked to uh, Frank about OwnCloud, I spun up another... A droplet so yeah. that I could test uh, some yeah. of the stuff on I mean, Uncloud. why yeah. not? So actually, I, I spun up two in the seven yeah. days I've been here. And they all they, <laughs> they have hourly pricing available, too. Really straightforward hourly pricing. So if you're just going to try something for a little bit, you can. And don't forget, they have really great tutorials over at DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and just look at some of their tutorials as well. And then try out a rig. Just use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Now, we have an app pick, uh, Make Good, to do this week. And Noah and I were really kind of scratching our head. But we were moving files around this week. And one of the tools that is just the go-to tool here for the team is FileZilla. Everybody on the team uses FileZilla. And I'm sure, Noah, you use it professionally uh, for, your, uh, for your IT work, too. But uh, for those of you not familiar, FileZilla is a free and open-source FTP client. It's available for all the major OSs. And the latest version just came out this week. That's why we're making it our Epic. It's not a major release, but hey, FileZilla is rock solid already. It's got some bug fixes. Uh, a couple of new features are in FileZilla. It can display your home directory instead of the root directory if that 
last used directory does not exist. That's nice. A larger initial size of the main window if there is no stored size, also very nice. And a slightly increased size of page selection box in the settings dialog. And of course, they fixed an assertion in the directory bug uh, and, a, and a drag and drop of remote files, which broke in the RC, which has been fixed. A regression has been fixed. So, uh, FileZilla, Noah, any uh, comments? Yeah, I, I use as you, as you alluded. I use it all the time. And actually, we set uh, we have a client that um, basically what they do is they their their business model revolves around um, taking a capture and it turns it into a digital file, and then that file has to get over to a different department, mm. and they just have an internal FTP server. And for a while, when they were back on XP, we had them running. Um, on it using the actual built-in utility and then when i kind of got the hint when i kind of got the the bug to switch them to linux the first thing we did was switch them over to filezilla and then had them using filezilla on windows and then just uh, when we phased out those xp machines switch them to a bunch of machines and filezilla is still there and they could care less that's a great example filezilla is a great example of an app that helps make that transition real smooth all right, now how about our weekly project spotlight we like to feature an open source project or something up and coming that you might want to know about and I got to be honest with you, uh, I heard a lot about Slack this week. I heard a lot of people using Slack. I've even heard of uh, some certain patrons uh, that will like uh, make a, pa- a Patreon Slack exclusive Slack feed. And I don't really know much about Slack, but it's taking off a lot. And we've talked about some open source alternatives, but we've got a new one to mention. Uh, it's called Mattermost, and it's going to be integrated into GitLab, if I'm understanding correctly. It's called Mattermost, and uh, it's an open source on-premises Slack alternative. The announcement goes like this. We're very excited to announce that we'll ship GitLab Mattermost, an open-source on-premises messaging app like Slack, along with GitLab. GitLab Mattermost will first be included with the Ombius package, or the Omnibus package, sorry, of GitLab 7.14 that's due on the 22nd. They say we think that GitLab Mattermost will be a great addition for GitLab users that need all-on software premises. And in fact, uh, Hopi submitted this to the subreddit. That's where I noticed this one, and I'm really excited. That's why I wanted to make this the weekly spotlight. Because I've been hearing so much about Slack, and it kind of makes me a little sad. Every time I hear somebody talking about Slack, I think, oh, that's another person that's using a proprietary web-based, yeah. closed-off application that sounds like an open-source tool should be doing that job. Right. When, it, when it's about facilitating teams and, and communications, especially businesses, it feels like that should be open-source so that business can own that. Uh, so uh, I don't know a lot about this yet, but GitLab Mattermost sounds pretty exciting. And hopefully it's something I can throw on a DigitalOcean droplet at some point. Oh, I'll have a link in the show notes and a picture of it if you guys want to check it out. <laughs> you like that? That was, that was a really clever way to say we're done with that story moving on to the next. Yes. So if that wasn't clear to everyone. No, that was our – so you can check out our past picks and spotlights over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks. We have all the good stuff over there. If you're loading up a new rig, an Android device, something like that, I would go over there and get them because uh, – we, I think, have done some really great picks, and I'm hoping Mattermost is something we could do a segment on in the future. So, dear, dear, dear audience, if you've tried Mattermost or if you do end up trying it, please write in and let us know, because if you think it's something we could do a, an episode on, I would love to know about that. All right, Noah, let's do the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com no you know that go to last.ting.com because ting is mobile that makes sense noah and i rock ting all the time uh noah you you have surpassed me in (laughs) ting usage uh quite a bit actually (laughs) yeah i do do i share the story from this week go ahead okay so i so chris 
uh, says to me the last time I was here, he goes, "Hey, I have my Nexus Five. Would you like to borrow it?" And I said, yeah. "I would love to." And we're like, we're like Ting Bros, so we're like, "Yeah, yeah man, I'll just transfer it." No, so I just remove it. Like right. that evening, you went back to the hotel room and added it to your account. Yep. yep. So I get it activated, and it has changed my vision of Android. Like I, I totally changed my outlook. Yeah, of Android. lollipop on the Nexus is great. Well, then, as it turns out, uh, I broke it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so, actually don't know how that happened. I, I don't either, because I was it was on my lap, but it, it is clearly a screen break. But yeah. I, I never dropped the phone, so I'm not. Well, I shouldn't say never. But I de- definitely didn't drop it anytime recently. To yeah, the screen so the breaking. digitizer's busted or something. So er- everything breaks. So I am totally without a phone. So we go down to and this. We should mention you're here in Washington. You're not back home. Right. So where you I have are, a pile of them. Where, yeah. Well, yeah. But so your 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 family can't get a hold yeah. of you. Your business can't get a hold of you. You have no mobile device yeah. on you at the moment. Right. So I even go though to, you have a jillion phones. Yeah. <laughs> so I know I'm not going to. I know I'm not going to leave Ting because I'm too happy with it. So I, I think how can I buy a phone locally that I can use on Ting. Well, it turns out there's a prepaid uh, provider kind of down the street. And so we thought, well, we'll stop in there and see if I can get a prepaid phone. So I go and work out the details of how I can get it off their service after I use it for a couple months. Because you wanted it that morning. I, I had to have it right then. Um, and I was going to take it off their service and put it on my own. And I was very upfront with the guy. I'm like, you know, yeah, this you is. Did. You and, so, and so the guy's like, well, can I ask why you don't want to stick with this? And I'm like, well, you're about three times what I'm paying now. And he's like, yeah, but um, we, we are the only provider that offers mobile broadband. For only additional thirty dollars, and I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah. I actually don't pay anything for it for a mobile yeah. hotspot, and yeah. I don't want your mobile hotspot. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the speeds on this stupid thing, oh my gosh, are ridiculous. And and I found out, Chris, it's not the network speeds. That no, are the of course not. They're intentionally of limited. Of course they are. And you have to pay an additional twenty five dollars yeah. if you want access to yeah. the full speeds. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so like every bullet point on his little sales thing, he's like, oh, and this is why we're better. And I'm like, ah, no, actually, you're not. You're not. No. And like, there is nothing compelling about the service, but I can the only well, except for one thing. I can take it off their service and put it on Ting. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I like about yeah. it. Yeah, last.ting.com. Ting is really mobile that makes sense. It's flat $6 for the line, and then it's just your usage. You want to turn on hotspot and tethering like Noah did? It's just your usage, and it's really easy because there's no contracts, and then there's no early termination fees, and all the phones are unlocked. So if you are savvy at all, you understand why all of those reasons are really good, compelling reasons to switch to Ting. But here's another really nice thing. They got two networks, a CDMA network and a GSM network. So Noah is able to find pretty much any device to make that work. And if you go to last.ting.com, if you have a device that is compatible with Ting's network, you can get $25 off your first bill, which more than paid for mine. Uh, So go over there and check them out. Also, one of the things we love about Ting is they got them app picks. And uh, Kyra's here with one that I'm wondering if you've heard about, Noah, because you used to be a Facebook user. You're not Mm -hmm. so much a Facebook guy these days anymore. But back in the day, these were pretty popular on Facebook. And uh, Kyra, she's more of an Instagrammer. So mm-hmm. I don't think she's a big Facebooker, and now she is here to tell us about an app that's going to rock the social world. Take it, Kyra! Do you find emojis lacking in personality? We're here to help on this week's Ting App of the Week. If you've ever received an instant message, chances are you know emojis all too well. These little icons make it easy to convey feelings and thoughts without having to type out a text. Emoji are handy, but they're pretty generic. They don't say anything about you. That's where Bitmoji comes in. Bitmoji comes from the team behind the popular comic app, Bitstrips. If you used the app before, then you'll feel right at home here. First, you need to design yourself from a series of pre-made shapes and facial parts. Choose your gender and avatar style. Then design yourself from head to toe. Pick a face shape, skin tone, hair color, length, type, and so on. You get the idea. Once you're done, the app takes your avatar and applies it to their pre-created setups. On iOS, you'll need to give the Bitmoji keyboard access. After which, adding a Bitmoji is the same process as adding a regular emoji. 
On any keyboard, hit the globe icon and select the type of emotion you'd like to convey. Then paste it into that chat. On Android, Bitmoji appears as a chat head in popular messaging apps. Click on your head, select the emotion, then select the conversation and send. You can also select a Bitmoji from the app itself, where you'll also find additional sharing options for apps like Twitter and Facebook. Finally, check out the BitShop, where you can buy or get additional Bitmoji from content partners like HBO and Pixar. New Bitmojis are added to the app from time to time, so you rarely <laughs> find yourself running out of reactions. Look at that one, dude. Bitmoji is free for Android and iOS. Remember to like this video, subscribe to our channel, and check out our other great shows. Last.ting.com. Go, it's great to have Kyra back, isn't it? Go to last.ting.com. Go check out their service. They got some great stuff. See why Noah and I are so happy with their different options. You can find them at last.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, Noah. So this story, our top story in the in the news this week. You are so excited. You put I'm it ready. right at the very top. I'm ready. And uh, I'm curious about this. Oh, so I'm ready. Tell me why you're so excited about this special, super thin Zen book that's built to run Fedora. So uh, you and I both share one thing in common, and that is that we like good hardware. Uh, to, yeah. the, to the point that, to the point that, as much as I dislike Apple, I have to acknowledge that they make a very har- compelling hardware package, and I'm always looking for laptops that I think rival that. Not compelling enough for you to buy it, though. Actually, I own this. No, I mean, oh, I if, mean, if, you if I could buy, a MacBook. I, well, I tell you what, I'll make you. I, I, I'll, 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 I'll put this on the record. If Apple ever produces a laptop that I can just plug a USB drive in, install Linux all the way from start to finish, and no problems, no monkeying, no dicking with it. No treating like it's every other. Are you sure you want to say this? Yeah, I think I, I think I'm willing to say that. If if I can use it as I would use a normal computer, are I'd you probably, sure you want to say this? I don't know because somebody's gonna email in and tell you exactly how to do this. Yeah, no, 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 no. There should uh, there should be no need for that. If somebody emails in and says Apple now produces laptops that you can just install Linux, I don't want to have to do anything. If I have to what start if somebody writes things, in and says you can take you can buy the MacBook One and install Antigross in it without having to change anything. All right, maybe I won't commit to that. But I, I'm really close. I'm I, that, That's how close I am. I could be pushed either way. Okay. Um, Anyways, you do I'm have always, one of these Zen yeah, books. So I'm always looking for laptops that, that compete with the MacBook. Now, I'll be I'll, first and foremost, I don't think that the UX305 uh, is, if you set that next to a MacBook, it will blow the MacBook away. Well, let me or, tell you about the specs, okay? And then we'll let the audience decide. Okay. So, and, and I actually I actually like this. I know the uh, most of the audience disagrees with me. It has a 1080p display on a 13.3-inch screen. I think that's a sweet spot. I don't know. I agree. Um, and it <clears throat> has a very good 170-degree viewing angle. Uh, it's got a Core M5, uh, 5Y10 2 uh, gigahertz processor in it, fanless design. It's very nice, which also means it's pretty uh, energy-efficient probably. 8 gigabytes of RAM, 250 gigabyte solid-state drive. They say a 10-hour battery life. And it has 802.11ag and Wi-Fi in it, Bluetooth 4.0, three USB 3.0 ports, and an HDMI port. And uh, Asus, and we have this uh, in all of this in the show notes, Asus claims that it is slimmer than the new MacBook 1, which is what I call the MacBook with uh, just one port. Uh, and they say it's about half the price. I call it the uh, water bathing MacBook. Now that was, so it's been around since March, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, basically I'm What's always- What's different about this one? Well, Run Fedora? Well, so I'm always on the look for, for laptops that kind of compare to, to MacBooks. And while I can't say that this one I think would you know blow the MacBook away or even necessarily- uh, even necessarily equate it, I think at the price point, I think it's a better buy. Um, because the things that I, I look for, a good a good solid keyboard, yeah. a good solid trackpad, Does it have a that? bright, yeah, a, a, a bright, good, a decent display, and uh, and a decent physical build quality, so it doesn't, it doesn't give, it doesn't flex, 
I think that this, particularly the price point, I think it really makes for a good buy. What did you spend for yeah. yours? Do you remember? I spent about $350 for mine. No. Bought, well, yeah, I bought it off of a guy, though. I didn't buy oh, it new oh, from the store. Oh. Um, and installing Linux was a matter of plugging the USB drive in and waiting for it to install again. Uh, simple things like going to swap the hard drive. I took that bottom plate off, and it was really easy for me to pull the spinning disk out and put an SSD in it. There were just there were a lot of things that really wow, made. Wow, that sounds for for that price. That's an unbelievable rig. Uh, I really liked it. Um, and then why did you not have? On, why did you bring that? Why didn't you bring? I, brought, I had it here at Linux. If yeah. Uh, yeah, and did. so and so on each side of it, I have two USB ports, which I also like because I have my my YubiKey in that particular one. My YubiKey Nano sticks way at the very front edge corner, uh, or back edge corner, I guess rather. And so it makes it it gives it puts it really far out of the way, and and but yet really easy for me to tap it, so I'm not always accidentally bumping it. Uh, the whole build, the whole design is just an amazing computer. And when I saw this article come out that was talking about how this might be the quote unquote perfect Fedora system, I thought I. I got to give that a shot. And so now I am chomping at the bit to get back to mine so I can install Fedora. And I, I haven't, I had, I had Ubuntu on it uh, most recently uh, and I hadn't, I hadn't, I just left it because it ran just fine, but I'm going to throw Fedora on it and I want to see if I can get to this guy's experience. But I think so this article that we have linked in the show notes uh, over at opensource.com, uh, it talks about getting the process of getting Fedora on the Zen book. And the author basically, basically concludes that by the time you're done, he has a Fedora 21 rig uh, that it's ready to go to Fedora 22 when it releases, that is uh, $600 less than the MacBook One, mm-hmm. and uh, ready to go. It's the uh, ZenBook UX305, and he says Fedora runs completely on it. He's completely sold. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you have to do. That's the that's the biggest thing is finding everyone. A, a lot of times people will ask, they'll say, well, I'd like to buy System76, except sure. they don't ship to this country. There, there's, some, there, there's, always, there's, there's Sometimes there's a reason. Um, and so then they ask, what's a computer I can just go into Best Buy or Amazon purchase, or Amazon and mm-hmm. purchase or eBay, guy, right? or eBay. I yeah. buy a lot of computers off of eBay yeah. and I can buy a machine and install <laughs> Linux. This is it. This works flawlessly. All right. Now, next story on the news docket <laughs> this week. And this one blew my mind. Like, I thought it was a joke. Like, I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm just getting really skeptical in my old man age, you know, because mm-hmm. people hate it when I say that I'm old. Uh, what do you know about this? This is Google's Linux powered router. Uh, it's uh, Google and TP-Link. Uh, uh, they're teaming up. Mm-hmm. They're going all bro style, and uh, they are uh, family style. They're making this thing called the On Hub. It's Wi-Fi AC router for consumers. <laughs> Get ready for this. <laughs> it's got 13 antennas, Bluetooth. It supports the Zigbee automation protocols, and it's controlled by a mobile app. Google's embedded and Internet of Things uh, devices. This is like the, one of their first ones from their Nest uh, subsidiary, possibly. Uh, and uh, they say it's going to be a $200 unit. And uh, you can buy it right now uh, from uh, Google's uh, Play Store. And there is, uh, there's a lot of information kind of uh, available as far, as far as specs goes. And I want to tell you about some of these specs. Because this, this isn't a Wi-Fi router, dude. Uh, this is not a Wi-Fi router at all. This is a freaking computer. So get ready for this. It's got a Qualcomm uh, ARM processor in it running at 1.4 gigahertz with two cores. It's got one gigabyte of RAM, four gigabytes of flash storage. 8 megabytes of uh, NOR flash. Um, also, check this out. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Six 2.4 gigahertz 802.11 BGN antennas. Uh, six 5 gigahertz antennas. It has an ABGNAC antenna. has Bluetooth 4.0. I don't even know about Bluetooth 4.0. And, of course, since it supports Zigbee and Thread, it has an 802.11 15.4 antenna in it as well. Those are a lot of, uh, that's a lot of stuff. I don't know what all that means, but it's pretty significant. And uh, Google put out an announcement that says, shouldn't Wi-Fi be easier? 
Meet OnHub, a different kind of router that makes it simple to get better Wi-Fi. OnHub starts fast and stays fast, constantly improves on its own, and it communicates with an app, not blinking lights. OnHub, the new way to Wi-Fi. On Hub, and it's also got a gigabit Ethernet LAN port, a gigabit Ethernet WAN port, and a built-in gigabit Ethernet hub. And like we mentioned at the top, it runs Chentu. What do you think, Doak? Are you considering maybe trying one of these? Not even a little bit. I what? mean, oh, trying it to play with it, sure, maybe. You wouldn't but pick one of these up for your house? I don't like Internet of Things. I'm. I, in That's fact, just, I, that dude, no. just forget that. No, You're going to have to forget that. I, you know, I've gone so far out of my way to buy uh, to buy home automation systems and stuff like that. Does that does not require the internet? Everything in my house can be used with or oh, without an internet oh, connection. Oh. And I don't like the concept that Google basically is going to control this thing. And you, my friend, who's always concerned about Google grabbing data, if you don't think. They're parsing every now. Now they're not just going to grab what comes through the internet, man. They're going what's going through your lab. Uh, yeah, it's kind of gross, so now, isn't it? What, no, but the problem is now if I want to set own cloud up, uh, even that I have to worry about Google because they can essentially they can pull that information right. They, well, they, they sure they could. There's Why no they? way. No way. Why do you say that? Well, at best, I would say they could maybe get your DNS records because they could compress that as a text file and that would transmit pretty Plug easily. Into the switch. I, I, a packet capture would be such well, a drain on your internet maybe, connection. Maybe not a packet capture per se, but the the point is, I have allowed them access to the to a portion of my network that they ordinarily wouldn't have access. I would to, say, and your, that scares I me. could say your ARP table, your route table, uh, maybe your NAT address table, and your DNS cache. I I bet I could totally see them if you just grab if you just grab those four things. That'd mm-hmm. be pretty valuable. I agree. And you could transmit all of those as a tar GZ file. I agree, but I would I would bet that they they I mean it wouldn't be that hard to set up a thing that says flag broadcasts from like uh, competitive thermostats. If there's the Honeywell has a competitive thermostat. If you see if you if see that sees, MAC address on the land, if you see this if you see this this MAC identifier uh, shoot a broadcast, <laughs> flag that. Let us know that this guy isn't Dude. using it. I, I just I'm just saying I just I don't want to I don't want to think about it because every time every single time in the course of human history I've ever thought to myself Google could do this. They always do this, and it's always this is so much worse than this. Mm. So I, no, I will not be plugging way this Way to crap on the party, man. But yeah, so it's available from uh, store.google.com for $199.99 U.S. fancy uh, greenbacks. And uh, I don't know. You could go check it out. It, I, I, uh, I, I'll tell you what. I'll buy I you got one. Here, you know what? I got here and I realized that their freaking picture on their front page has a Surface on it. A Surface, dude. Isn't that a, is that a or is that? No, that's that an could I. could be a Chromebook. Or maybe. Yeah, no, that's not a Surface. I thought that might have been a Surface for a second. So then I was totally turned off. Let's talk about the situation in in, uh, in uh, Munich. Uh, sort of uh, early on when the Linux Action Show started, uh, Munich uh, in Germany was the poster child of an entire city moving over to Linux. And now here we are in 2015, nearly 10 years later, and it's so obvious that Munich tried to make a switch to Linux in the old style way of doing yep. things. And so now they're having significant tr- troubles. Now I think it all begins with Limux. And uh, there is a there's a screenshot of Limux in our show notes. I invite you guys to go check it out. How would you describe? Uh, no, I'm handing you the picture there. How would you describe that? I would say this looks like a cross between Windows 3.1 and Windows 95. <laughs> yeah, it looks like KDE 1.0. So they took somehow they took KDE 3 or 4, and they just made it look like ass. It's KDE 3 actually. So let's start with that. They're shipping they're shipping their own Linux distribution. <laughs> What an outdated thought that is, mm-hmm. where you have to ship your own. I mean, that sounds like that sounds like how you used to do things uh, ten years ago. Instead More of going with a, instead of going with a mainstream LTS or like a like a CentOS or mm-hmm. something like that, 
They, they, they rolled their own distro, which kind of made sense back in the day. But from a sustainability standpoint, just really doesn't hold up long term. And so uh, two influential politicians in Germany uh, decided uh, that maybe, maybe. Now, I, I can't quite narrow this story down because we've been covering it for a while. And I can't quite tell if it's a couple of politicians raising a stink or if it's a big effort. But uh, two senior members of the city's IT committee have asked the mayor to reconsider removing Linux-based OSs and to install Windows with Microsoft Office. Even though the city has spent years migrating 15,000 staff members to Linux and a custom version of Ubuntu that's based on, I think, the Stone Age, the open source software, the Move City said that more than $11 million has been spent. And now a couple of folks in the IT department, in a letter to the mayor, are asking to reconsider switching these things to Windows with Office. Now, Microsoft has had an interesting track record of being involved in this from the very beginning. Noah, what's your sense of this story? Here's here's my sense. My sense is that it's a lot of the times when we go into to rip uh, windows out a lot of the people at the at the lower end that have to use it a lot um they're unhappy with it because they don't care about the benefits of it they don't care that it's more cost effective they don't care that it's that it it offers the company uh more of a chance to grow because Why they're not they? locked in well they don't and so all they see all they see are the negative side so they see i can't run microsoft office like i did in college i can't run microsoft office like i do at home i can't run, and 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 so they are the they are the vocal majority because they're the people that have to use it now on the upper level you have the management and the management does see the advantage, advantages to linux um but they're a smaller group. So essentially what it comes out to the public eye is all these people up here who don't have to, quote unquote, use it are the ones making the decisions. And all the people down here are complaining about it. The reality is they are simply looking both at operating systems have advantages and disadvantages. And it's just that the people down at, at one end are looking at it one way and the people up at the upper end are looking at it a different way. That's my take on it. Yeah, thank you. This is exactly why I say this is an outdated way of looking at it. Uh, so they tried to compete head on with a version of the computing world that is not really relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. They went up against Microsoft Office. They went up against Windows applications to Linux applications. They went up against the Windows desktop experience against the Linux desktop experience, and they delivered the crappiest desktop experience possible on Linux. Like, you can't even go out and get a distro anymore with a desktop as crappy as the one they ship in Linux. Like, they exceeded unbelievably at delivering the worst desktop possible. I'm not done yet. And Instead, today, today, today what you would do if you were actually going to compete on the Linux desktop is you would ship a modern desktop with years of support and you would be competing with web applications. Mm -hmm. You would be competing with Google Docs where Windows and Linux are exactly on the same turf. Mm -hmm. You are competing with Google Spreadsheets. Windows and Linux are exactly on the same turf. You're competing with Zimbra. Windows and Linux exactly on the same turf. Instead, they went with the old battle that we fought back in the 90s that Linux never won. And they didn't go at it with a solution where we are we are completely one-on-one, completely capable, feature-wise, with the Windows desktop. And if you go that route today, you are completely successful with the Linux deployment. And that's why Linux deployments today are seeing success, and Linux deployments back then are completely crap. Office 365. You can have Office you on could have Linux Microsoft if you Office. actually wanted it. But no, instead they're going with OpenOffice, Linux Edition versus Microsoft Office. The latest edition, it just doesn't make any sense. End users are comparing some old, crazy-ass version of OpenOffice against the latest version of Microsoft. They're comparing a version of the KDE 3 desktop against Windows 10. Of course they're asking for Windows 10. I would, too. If I had to use KDE 3, I would go crazy. And and this is the problem, is these, these folks in Germany, they went at it in this bureaucratic by committee approach that didn't take into account that by the time they even got halfway done with this project, technology completely changed from underneath them. And I, th- I just I, I look at this and I think 
You can't look at this as an example of Linux failing. What you have to look at this as is an example of the implementation failing. That's my take on it. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say I'd rather use Windows than think. I think I'd rather stick with an old no. version of KDE. I, yeah. I, I, I honestly, know, I, I think I, I, would, I mean, today I would rather use Windows 10 than use something based on KDE 3. I, uh, really, I think I would, dude. Yeah. I wouldn't love it. In fact, I'd probably use my phone for 95% of well, everything. Well, actually, that's what these people are doing. They are, a lot of them are yeah. bringing in their own computing yeah. devices uh, to do this. But and that's part of the problem. That's what's putting pressure on the whole situation, actually. Mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, that what concerns me is not necessarily that they're considering dumping it. Frankly, I'm not entirely convinced that they will because I think a lot of the people that actually have the power to make this decision are going to evaluate it for more of a a more of an on-paper statistical approach. And when you look at it from that lens, it becomes very obvious what you should do. But yeah. what, does suffer, what, what does scare me is other potential large organizations or potentially other countries that are looking at this story saying, right. Munich tried it. Bam. The freaking city right. of Munich right. tried it, and that didn't work. How are we going to do it? That concerns me. Hopefully somebody plays them this segment of the Linux Action Show to set them straight, Noah. I like what Shadow7 says in the chat room. It's really just about solitaire. <laughs> I don't know. Minesweeper's pretty good. Yeah. Now, actually, yeah. Don't you have to pay for solitaire now in Windows 10? Oh, really? You, Tell me Minesweeper's free, though. Yeah, I don't even know if it's in there, but you do have to pay for it. Okay. All right, Noah. Moving on, yeah, sir. Yeah, it was hard to get into that story because we, uh, we didn't crumple for Google. No, all right. Uh, so, uh, you know, our buddies over at GOG, Good Old Games, they now have a nice friendly Linux installer when you install a game from there. Uh, it's kind of neat. The GOG distribution platform has started to release Linux games less than a year ago. And after a lot of, come on, guys, when are you going to get into the market? Now they're actually into the market, and i got to say, they're making some changes I like. Uh, they've made great progress in the last year, and now the developers are working on a new installation for Linux games that should be much easier to use. And so you, you download the game from GOG, and it comes up with a nice GUI installer that walks you through loading it up. It's customized for each individual game. And they're beginning to roll it out on U.S. games right now. And they're going to roll it out to all uh, uh, languages uh, in the next co- coming uh, weeks. It's really neat. I mean, it's like it's taking Linux up to the uh, – to the. so in the past, you'd basically download a Tarjiz. And then you'd have to extract that Tarjiz. <laughs> I wasn't going to laugh until you did, dude. I can't help it. I can't help it. Oh. Come on, no. Come sorry, on. sorry, sorry. Back to compressing the jizz into a tar. Uh, okay. All right. All so right. anyways, you compress the file and you download So they basically... <laughs> – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you download the file and you extract it and you just run the binary. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's marked as executable and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Not every time. Sometimes, like an animal, you have to open up a terminal and CD into the directory and toss an X onto that SOB before you can yeah. launch it. Yeah. Now you're going to be able to download these installers. You're going to put it in the right directory based on your user permissions. Double click. And you're good to go. You know, the thing is, um, I think that, it, you know, uh, traditionally, um, some people have their own criticisms of how well Linux gaming works, but. I don't think there's much of an argument that most of those retro games kind of a thing, that seems to be a place where Linux shines. You remember that yeah. runs Linux just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. The guy the built whole arcade. an arcade yeah. to run, you know, uh, you know, um, and you know older what? games. You know what? You know what? And I'm an old man. People hate it when I say that, but I just like to say that. Uh, if you go over to GOG.com and you go to games, you can check this out, Noah, and you can filter by system, and you can just choose uh, your Linux there, your GNU slash Linux, and look at this. They have got some really, really, really slick uh, Linux games. Like they got the Star Wars games, the old Star Wars uh, Starfighter games. They got the Indiana Jones games up in here. Uh, they got X Wing, Tie Fighter. I just, I love this stuff, and it's five bucks, six bucks. Yeah, and that's now they're a coming... good deal for some entertainment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and my kids still like it too. Yeah, so it's it, good that's kind of fun because, like, I'm, I'm actually surprised. See, I tried to get my kids interested in the games I was interested in. 
And my son has he had like nothing to do with it. He'll look at it and be like, "Dad, this sucks." Like it depends on the game for sure. Some yeah. games he totally writes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And I'm like, to me, it like has a, like Oregon Trail, like that to me, like on the Apple IIe. That's like, oh, that's never that's gonna like, go over. Well, I know, to not to me, but to him, I know. he thinks that's the dumbest thing in the world. He's like, yeah. wait, that's how you shoot somebody dead. Yeah, that's that's lame. Have yeah. you seen Counter Strike Dead? I'm like, right. yes. Yes, I we know. didn't have that back on five back and a quarter in inch. Today. Yeah, when you when you had starting uh, to feel uh, old, sixteen discs and you it's had the kids. Yeah. The kids make you feel old. Yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you takes a crap on my childhood. Are you ready? I'm ready. So uh, Noah, tell me why you're so damn excited about the Yala tablet, which is actually now available for pre-order in uh, in uh, well, actually, let's see here. It's available for pre-order in limited quantities in the EU. Norway, Switzerland, the United States, Canada, Australia, India, and Hong Kong. So you can secure your Yala tablet now. We are going on year two of my constant, endless, fruitless search of Linux on a tablet. Now, I don't really like tablets to begin with, and that makes it really difficult to shop for a good tablet running Linux. Um, and I have, we had this discussion, I don't know if we've ever had it on air, but I know you and I've had it personally. I don't trust the current, com- the current market competitors the core operating system with security. So no matter how much usability I can get out of Android, and I'm pretty much there now, I will never, ever, ever trust Android to store my data because I don't know for sure, 100% without any equivocations, what Google is going to do with it, or more importantly, what they're not going to do with it. Or what even security updates the platform is going to get. So I just cannot trust Android, and I wouldn't trust iOS, and I, and frankly, the only thing I would trust, I certainly wouldn't trust Windows, the only thing I would trust is a Windows ba- or a Linux-based uh, tablet solution. Now, I have not been, I still have not been totally sold on things like the Ubuntu phone. I think they're making great progress, but it just feels like a uh, a slightly less uh, usable version of Android to me. Eh, that's me. It might not be for everyone. Yala, in the little bit that I've played with it, I was I was blown away. And the picture that they have on that website, when I saw it, when I, when I popped up, when they, when they offered the pre-orders, blew me away. And I'm like, I have to have that tablet. Um, and so... That's a that's a serious consideration. And, and you're gonna it, do it. Well, here's the thing. I want to talk to a couple of the people that I've been conversing with about uh, Yala, but they, uh, everyone that I know that has used Yala says that what what I describe, what I'm looking for in a tablet, is what I would get with the Yala tablet. Have you considered like a top? Uh, have you considered like are there tablets that are in cyanogen? Have you considered that? Yeah. I, so that's closer, but uh, that's closer. Um, the thing that I like you're about you're worried about Android itself. Well, yeah, basically. And the thing yeah, that I, I like about Yala is I can trust that Yala is Linux for the tablet, and yeah. it is not. It's not one distribution specific. It, it is not. It's not specific. So I don't have to worry about them right. selling out. And plus, you probably want to support the Yala folks. Too, yeah, to a degree. Well, and I can use all my Android apps. Yeah, yeah. I that can is nice. the Play Store, so mm. I don't lose any apps. And <laughs> to me, apps are that's just everything in today's world. It's like all the things that I think would make a good experience. That's true. That's true. You know, make for... That's true. All right, Noah. Well, that's all the news for this week. LinuxCon 2015 just wrapped up right here in the Pacific Northwest. And before we get to that, I want to tell you about our segment sponsor, that's System76, creators of machines designed to run Ubuntu, Linux, and man, do they. We just had the Serval Workstation, and also we got a couple of Bonobo Extremes here in studio that we love to rock and roll. These machines are nice because they've gone through and made sure that every component is going to work out of the box when you run Linux. That's super nice from a nuke and pave standpoint, so that way you don't have to worry about setting up a whole bunch of crap or if you want to try other distros. And it's also great from a reliability and expectation standpoint. They got desktops and laptops 
You should check them out, system76.com. They designed to run Linux. That way you don't have to fight with your Linux. You get to play with it. I love them. And if you showed up live for the live stream, you'll notice that Pseudonym is, is regaling us with his experience at the server workstation because he also, after listening to the Linux Action Show, got himself one. Yeah. That's right. Go over to System76 and get yourself something nice and tell him the Linux Action Show sent you. Now, for our LinuxCon 2015 coverage, we wanted to give you the experience of actually going to LinuxCon, what you might experience and notice if you went there yourself. So that was our goal for our first bit of coverage. We're going to play that for you, and then we're going to get into the interviews. In my home turf in Seattle, Washington, North America's largest Linux convention, you can't help but notice a trend. Containers are a big deal. A trend that's changing the way the world thinks about Linux. Docker is an exciting buzzword, and a lot of products are being built around it. This particular conference, we've also, an awful lot of the focus on things that we're talking about is containers, virtualization, uh, the, the application stacks that are running on top of the kernel. Uh, why is the kernel still so important? all the applications inside a Docker container, which is cool. What we provide is a management uh, control plane in which you can orchestrate your containers very easily. We are big supporters of Docker internally. We use it for our own uh, internal infrastructure. Bamboo now has a, a first-class Docker support as, as a, a target for continuous integration and deployment. Containers, we think pretty strong, feel pretty strongly that containers are the right way to think about deploying software, um, and we want them to be ubiquitous. My first LinuxCon experience, it was pretty cool that it was here in Seattle, Washington. No, I know it's not your first LinuxCon by far. No, it's not, but it, it, it was by hands down, at least from a, a venue standpoint, my favorite. Yeah, it was really great. Uh, we're going to get into the whole story of uh, LinuxCon, but we should probably start with Seattle itself, which is really, truly part of the experience of going to LinuxCon this year. And uh, I wanted to take Noah to Pike Place Market, right. somewhere you'd never been. We wanted to go out and get a little air from the conference. And on our way down to Pike Place Market, I think you got a little good taste of uh, Seattle. Come on, we've got yellow and green. How fast? Oh, you're blowing it, Noah. Exactly. Yeah, give it a try, man. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing, Chris? Amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Oh, crap, all over the place. Delicious yellow peach right here. Delicious yellow and green, Chris. You got to try this. So when you walk around as an attendee, you have your name badge on. Right. Well, so let's back up. Let's start with the street performer. So one thing I really like about bigger cities... Seattle had this too was is that you have street performers. Oh yeah. So in a small city like Grand Forks, yeah. the best that you get is people just hold up a sign and say, Give me money. Oh. So, <laughs> no. so here so, so they here, have to step up their game. Here I know. More competition. I know. And and so and so and then not only do you have competition, like yeah. it, the the street performers that I have seen in some cities, like yeah. they're not very talented. Right. But these people they're good, you know, there was a, it was an electric bass <clears throat> and an electric uh, a violin. Yeah, I gotta say, like uh, I grabbed some of the music uh and I thought it was like it was actually like legitimately like amazing music that I wanted to share with people when we got back uh i had uh, one that uh, I, I could play for you here on the show and this is while we're just walking by with my microphone this is playing on the street
walking around. Noah leans over to me and says, "Like, man, do you do you smell that? Uh, I think we, I think I smell fish." We are in the search for fish. Come on, Noah. If you're smelling fish, it's not good fish. <laughs> no, you shouldn't be able to smell it. And see, that's one of the things that Pike Place Market is known for is fresh seafood. And so they throw like, around, by the way. Well, yes, that's true too. But I'm just they thinking almost a, they almost clocked a lady in her head. Yeah, that like some, like she's like ducks in it. Some fish, fish goes some, flying. Some fish splatter like landed yeah, in her face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and the fish they had they had cut the fish open. Yeah. So like it's like it had like wings, and the fish was like opening up and like like right over this lady's head, and then the guy like catches it out of the yeah. air, and it is crowded too. Like we're pushing elbow to elbow to people and I, I'm like boy if he's smelling fish this is not a good thing and no. I, I wanted your experience to the Seattle area to be good yeah. so we walked around it was really crowded we got some fish and chips then I was like alright well this isn't quite going the way I want let's go back up to the conference and uh, let's do some interviews so we walked back up to the Sheraton Hotel and one of the things that really struck us was I mean it's called Linux Con and also Container Con mm-hmm. and man isn't that the truth one of the main focuses of all the exhibitors and a lot of the talks is containers and Docker specifically. And our first interview was with a uh, sort of a proto-example of a lot of the boosts there. A lot of the boosts could be summarized as vendors that are providing solutions to maintain containers under Linux. I'm here at the Stack Engine booth, and I love their slogan here. It's Container Operations Management Simplified. And containers seem to be a pretty complicated business. There's a lot of people here talking about containers. So how does Stack Engine solve that complicated problem? Well, from its early design, we wanted to make Stack Engine easy to use and easy to deploy. So, for example, what we provide is a management uh, control plane in which you can orchestrate your containers very easily. You can install us on one host or multiple hosts within minutes, compose your applications and launch them or schedule them, and we automatically deploy them. Sort of abstracting uh, Docker away, but making it very easy to get your Docker containers up and running. Hmm. So is Stack Engine something that runs on-premise? Is it something that runs on your your infrastructure? How does that work? Well, we run anywhere you need us to. So a lot of people deploy us behind a firewall because they have security needs. And or they deploy us behind the firewall and in a cloud, in a hybrid environment. We run wherever we need to run and bring all all of that back in one view. All right, so uh, where would people go to find out more about Stack Engine? Well, it's easy enough to just go up to stackengine.com. We've got a free one-host version for developers, and we also uh, have a free trial for an unlimited experience of Stack Engine. So Stack Engine's kind of new, but, like, the whole range was there. Uh, you got a chance to talk to Atlassian. I did. Well-known company. And uh, it didn't take too long for you to notice. They're kind of all talking about Docker, too. So you uh, you mentioned Docker. I noticed that this entire hallway up and down LinuxCon is is all containerization. Uh, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about why you think that containerization is, is taking off in such a big way and why they have such a presence here at LinuxCon. Yeah, I think, you know, I think Docker's, uh, so, so containers have been around for a while. I think what Docker really made possible was was it made the tool chain easy enough to use that, that more and more people can do it. And what I think Docker is uh, really helping support is this architectural idea of microservices. So breaking applications down into smaller pieces makes them easier to develop, makes them easier to deploy. So I think that's a lot about why people are very interested in it. And you guys, uh, you guys here are are playing a big role in that and are really concentrating on that? So Atlassian has been part of the uh, Docker community for, for a while by uh, helping with their, like, kind of get information out about how to use Docker. Uh, we are big supporters of Docker internally. We use it for our own uh, internal infrastructure. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Bamboo now has a, a first-class Docker support as, as a, a target for continuous integration and deployment. Now, 
Be honest with me, Noah. Did you get a little burned out on all the Docker stuff? You know, um, I, I, I guess a little bit. Um, at, but at the same time, it, the, it, uh, we knew going into it that the that the conference, the theme of they the year, theme. or whatever was was Docker was Container, container Con. Con. So, yeah. so we knew that that was that was going to be they were going to have a big footprint. Um, I guess in in past years. It wasn't as prevalent like that. Like that mm-hmm. was kind of like an overreaching theme. Mm-hmm. And then but you still had yeah. a, a bunch of other exhibits. But I, in this particular case, like everyone was exhibiting a container or container management. Yeah. And then on top of that, even the people that weren't found ways to shoehorn their solutions into containers. That's exactly what I was going to say is even the boost didn't start out that way. And uh, not necessarily in a bad way either, but many, 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 many of the sessions. In fact, I would say the predominant theme of the sessions at LinuxCon, so not just the vendors was also Docker and containers. So they either would say Docker directly or they would mm. say containers more generically. And one of the folks that's very, very, very focused on this problem is CoreOS. And CoreOS said something. The guy speaking for CoreOS and the view of the project that really struck me. Essentially, if CoreOS completes their vision, Linux doesn't really have a necessary role in the container platform. And finally, you know, we think... Containers, we think pretty strong, feel pretty strongly that containers are the right way to think about deploying software, um, and we want them to be ubiquitous. So we want the standard to be as agnostic to, to platform, to OS and architecture uh, as possible. At CoreOS, we're very much focused on Linux, but we want, we think that application containers um, can be defined in, in a sufficiently portable way, um, so that there's no reason they can't be used on other operating systems. So what he's kind of saying is, if we do our job right, then being CoreOS. We being CoreOS. If we do our job right, we don't really have to depend on Linux to develop, or develop containers, to distribute software. And that, I don't know how that made me feel when I heard that, to be honest. What, what's yeah. your first impression? Well, so my first impression is uh, companies do not move quickly. Companies move very slow, especially <laughs> at large scale mm-hmm. and especially uh, industry. And so you have an entire... Uh, sect of industry that has been built up around Linux at the, at the server space. You know, we it's can true. go back and forth about the practicality uh, or the practical ramifications of using Linux on the desktop, but really there's no argument to be made that Linux completely, wholeheartedly dominates the server market space full stop. Right. And so I have watched companies that have difficulty moving from one version of Red Hat sure. to another version yeah. of Red Hat, even though it's the same distro on the same server running the same software. That's, but that's the very, that is the very problem that will drive the need for containers. See, that's the very problem that mm-hmm. containers solve. And once you solve that problem of delivering applications, the host operating system becomes less relevant. Because by very definition, mm-hmm. you're taking out that middle layer, which is the OS, and you're just writing on top of the kernel. And now your focus goes on deploying applications and not maintaining the whole stack. I agree. But... You still have to have a core operating system, and you have to have a very, very compelling reason to change that core operating system. Otherwise, the cost just becomes too high. They have all these people that are they have all these people that are trained to install a specific core operating system. They have yeah. all these people that are trained to maintain a core operating system, and most importantly, they already have these core operating systems in place. See, all those things I think are reasons to get to minimize it. So you don't have to worry about the training. So you don't have to worry about people that know how to I use agree. it. I agree. So. I agree, and I agree. But they're still not going to change. They're still not going to get rid of that core yeah. operating system. Yeah. They'll just scale it down and put everything on. Well, uh, Greg K.H., a long, long time uh, critical contributor to the Linux kernel, a former uh, guest of the Linux Action Show, uh, he was asked, why does the Linux kernel still matter? And I'm curious what you have, what do you take on his answer? So this particular conference, we've also, an awful lot of the focus on things that we're talking about is containers, virtualization, uh, the, the application stacks that are running on top of the kernel. Uh, why is the kernel still so important? <laughs> or do, does everyone... 
It, why is it appropriate to be talking about all these things at the same conference? Why, why? He laughs. He laughs. But mm-hmm. I, his answer, here's his answer. Is the foundation important of its building? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you think containers run on? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like a basement, you don't yeah. see it. Yeah. At it some point, you actually like have to touch the hardware. Right. We're, <laughs> no, we're the plumbers. We're the plumbing. It's the low-level plumbing like the plumber stuff. If the foundation's weak, so is everything else on top of it. Yes. A pretty solid argument. You have to run that on something. You have to support the hardware. You have to interface with the networking stack. Mm-hmm. A pretty solid argument. However, I think you could flip it on its head, and I think you could say it's also a little short-sighted. It's a little short-sighted that containerization makes that kernel a little less important. It could be the BSD kernel for all the container cares. And if you look at the kernel group's history of understanding Docker, I would argue that they have sometimes missed its importance. In fact, when cgroups was first introduced to the Linux kernel, I think they missed its importance. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with it, cgroups, which is abbreviated for control groups, is a Linux kernel feature that limits and accounts for and isolates the resource usage of CPU, memory, disk, I.O., and network from a collection of processes. So essentially, it's critical to containerization because what a container really is is it's these groups of processes are isolated from the rest of all the other processes and resources on the system. It's critical to how containerization works. It's the key technology there. And I think in this next clip, it shows the kernel team sort of failed to get it. And Linus was just inter- was interview- interviewed at uh, LinuxCon, and they asked him what he thought about Docker. And his response was sort of similar, was, oh, I don't care, I just think about the kernel. I just, all I worry about is I just worry about the kernel. But then how can you tell if you're being made irrelevant? And I will play this clip and let's talk more about it. Is there anything you can think of that we merged thinking it was not a big deal and then has become a big issue that we've had to go back and revisit? Uh, I don't want to point fingers. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. Yeah. That, like sneak in and we don't know. Well, let's put this one, C-groups. C groups came in in this odd corner. We're like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. We're all going to ignore it. And it took over the world. <laughs> and we all had to deal with it. And we all were like, la, 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 I don't care about it. And we all had to bite the bullet and take care of it. And I feel like the same things happened again with containerization. See, I disagree. Because I, don't, I, I think that in this particular case, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a compelling reason to leave Linux. I think that there, you're right that Linux may become not as exclusive as it was. Like, there's no reason mm-hmm. that you have to use Linux. Mm-hmm. But I don't see a compelling reason to leave, the, the, uh, leave an infrastructure I, that's in place, yeah. that's doing its job well, that is well-maintained, right. that is well-represented, has a lot of support behind Man, it. If I was looking at the market today, I would completely agree with you. I'm looking, I'm looking seven, eight years out, and I'm thinking to myself, not for all use cases, mm-hmm. not even for a majority of use cases, but I'm talking about the beginning irrelevancy of a platform. And I look at it, and isn't it interesting if the platform itself were to birth the very thing that made it irrelevant? Mm-hmm. And here's why I say that. When I look at what, what you need for containerization and what containers get you, it's a couple of things. Let's start with the number one benefit of containers. Like if I'm from DigitalOcean or I'm Amazon or I'm Rackspace, mm-hmm. the number one benefit of containers is density, right? right? I can run on what I could run maybe 10 VMs on, I can run 20 containers. The other thing about containers is it, it, it sort of promotes a container per application. My Zimbra server is in this container. Yes. My Jabber server is in this container. My IRC server is in this container. <clears throat> and then they're all isolated from each other and updated independently. Well, then you have container creep, and then you have thousands of containers if you're a large institution, and that's why we saw so many management utilities there. These management utilities abstract away the management of Linux because they put a web GUI on top of all of it. And then all of a sudden, you start thinking about, well, what do I really need to deliver these containers properly? Well, I need really good disk. I need good snapshots. I need a good file system. I need guaranteed data integrity. I need to be able to scale it up like a mo. And I need something that works particularly well with containers so that way I can simply roll back if there's a mistake at a file system level. And wouldn't it be great if I had all these advanced functionalities just like ZFS has? Yeah. 
So just like Steve. And then wouldn't it be great if I had an incredible network stack? Wouldn't it be great if I had incredible documentation? Right. Wouldn't it be great if I had one of the best disk IO subsystems? And wouldn't it be great if it was a very consistent user experience that has a lot less stories about exploits in the wild? I just described BSD to you. You did. However, BSD being such a smaller community and having less of a following, one of the issues I think they're going to run into very quickly is when the spotlight actually gets turned on to BSD, all of the holes in it are gonna uh, gonna come come out, and maybe sure. uh, maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe it will be the perfect operating system yeah, that that everyone right. that everyone stacks it up to be. But when that happens, yeah. and everyone sees the holes in BSD, yeah. then we start looking. Well, what is the more practical operating system? Well, thing, guess where all that money is, and guess where all the people that guess where the majority of the community is that can contribute right. to all these patches and fix all this stuff. If tomorrow that became the case, how many people would instantaneously be available to start working right. on ZFS for Linux? There is a, there is an incredible m- momentum around Linux. So that that seven eight year uh, doomsday prediction doesn't account for innovation in the Linux landscape, which there undoubtedly will be. Uh, And so I put it more out there as a question, not as a statement. Do we run the risk of potentially making Linux less relevant? As Linux becomes absolutely dominant in the server space, then we begin to develop a technology that makes it less relevant in the server space by the definition of the fact that you're abstracting away from the operating system as much as frickin' possible Mm -hmm. to deal with things like updates and dependencies and administration and et cetera, et cetera. So you have to wonder what the long-term ramifications are to the platform when you do that. At the same time, I can't imagine Linux going anywhere. So I ask, really, I ask to the audience, what do they think? And I guess my counter question would be, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing to become mm. slightly less relevant or do the benefits of containerization and the benefits that uh, of being able to manage the security implications and the, the development implications of, uh, of programs on top of user space, rather than having everything all in one cohesive project, is right. that really a bad thing? And the other thing that uh, the other note I take away from the conference is it's so it's so obvious to me that there were so many vendors trying to save and solve the same problems. Yeah, like they're all trying to figure out how to deploy applications in containers, manage them, update them, monitor them for outages, alert people, keep track of everything, and how to organize all of it in a way that's just not overwhelming. And ideally, for someone who's maybe more of a dev could manage it and doesn't have to be in a system administrator. Mm-hmm. And that problem so many people are trying to solve, and I don't think any one of them particularly have it, and that may mean we never solve it. What may end up happening with Dockers and containers is it's just such a mess that we scale way back. You know, we don't... I know. Maybe. It's Maybe. hard to say that after walking away from container yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but it seems you're... like there's an awful lot of eyes and an awful lot, more importantly, money. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. It's just funny how none of them have solved it. I guess it's early. Some, yeah. Somebody probably well, that, will. The other problem is, too, is and, we, and this is just... I think it's healthy. A lot of people would, would think that this is one of Linux's downfalls, but... We have diversification. So you have a whole hallway of everyone saying, no, use my product instead of that yeah, guy's. Yeah, yeah. And you think it's, about yeah. think about as as one start, mm-hmm. couple start to rise and a couple mm-hmm. fall off and then they all join in with some of the bigger competitors, then we'll start to see those rising stars come up and then everyone kind of jumps in and I think then we'll have an answer. Speaking of big competitors, you know, there was big names there. IBM was there showing the new mainframe. HP was there and they were, they were help setting the ambiance, if you will. In fact, it's not all serious at LinuxCon. There was some fun too and HP helped uh, create some that atmosphere. 145. Two people walk away with play computers. Wow, it's amazing. Amazing. HP. <laughs> HP. And then, of course, there's also things like the after parties. LinuxCon has some serious good times. Yeah. We had a really good meetup. We had uh, we went down to a place called Taps Bar and Grill. Mm-hmm. Really nice restaurant. Great ambiance. Mm-hmm. Pretty solid food. Lots of good drinks. And I think we had about 16, 17, 18 people show up. And you know what? You know what? You kind of catch on is you find. 
uh, you find common interests outside of Linux. So one of the things that we found out actually at the last uh, at the last meetup we had, and then this one was a lot of us actually. It seems like a lot of people have a shared interest in music. Yeah, right? I noticed that. And so the last time we were talking with this guy that knew how to pr- that was producing all of his stuff on Linux, mm-hmm. and and this mm-hmm. time uh, we ran into this guy, and he has this backpack thing, a really long awkward backpack. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, "What is that?" And he goes, "Well, they're bagpipes." And I said, <laughs> "Well, I, you know, I've always wanted to learn how to play bagpipes. Yeah. How yeah. would I get started with that?" So he's kind of explaining. I'm like, "I'm not visualizing it. I need to see them." So do you, he pulls out his bagpipes. Yeah, at LinuxCon. He busts in the middle out. Of, in the middle of the show floor. Yeah, he busts out. And we're like, this is the best thing ever. And then our friend from the Fedora Project, Ruth, shows up. And she starts cutting the floor with a jig. Yeah. That was a hell of a way to end the night for LinuxCon on Tuesday. That was, was a great cool. time. It was good to see everybody. And then uh, the following day on Wednesday, uh, Linus opened up with the keynote, and then they had the kernel panel in the evening, which we were uh, fortunate enough to build live restream on the JB live stream. And uh, so that's where you heard some of the uh, the clips from uh, Greg KH and uh, and things like that. It was a really good time. It was. It was a fun experience. And uh, we also got some interviews that have nothing to do with Docker and containers at I all. Know, it was amazing. Yeah. It took us a little bit to find them. We, had we to, actually there had was to a search. nondescript uh, <laughs> brick building <laughs> yeah. under the ground that right. we had to lower ourselves in. But and we found them. We found them. And uh, we have our first one. These guys are all about big, big, big servers. 100 terabyte is their name. Finding somebody or that's TB, talking guess. about something other than container technology is actually kind of different and so we're here with 100TB company that focuses on born to compute tell me a little bit about 100TB so 100TB we're a infrastructure company so we will provide the infrastructure you need in the location you need so we'll provide you bare metal servers we'll provide you virtual servers we'll provide you cloud solutions big data solutions um, in whatever geographic location works best for you. We're in 20 different geographic locations spread across four continents. Mm-hmm. We've got more coming online soon. So um, whether you need bare metal, whether you need cloud, or you need a mix of both, um, we can provide it for you. Outstanding. Now, how, how, does, uh, how does getting that on bare metal work? Well, we have some proprietary solutions in place that lets us provision whatever operating system you want quickly and easily in whatever location you want. So you can come under our control panel, um, pick the location you want. Say you want a server in Singapore and you want CentOS on it, CentOS 6 on it. You will select those options, hit provision, and it will provision to that server automatically. If you want custom upgrades, uh, custom hard drives, custom RAID cards, custom processors, it'll simply create a ticket. Our data center technicians will go out, upgrade those servers to whatever spec you want, and you'll have your server up in no time. It's a pretty neat system, and uh, we'll have the video version of these interviews uh, posted up uh, in the show notes if you guys want to watch those. And then, Noah, you said this next booth you stopped by was pretty interesting. It was called OVH. Yeah. I have some real practical uh, practical ideas I'd like to use them for, uh, and I think I actually talk about that in the clip. We're here with OVH, and I was talking to James to get a little bit of an idea of what OVH is and what it is. Kind of, you said a general company overview. Okay, so basically we're a server provider in general, so for cloud servers as well as dedicated servers, and massive infrastructure is going towards either smaller clients, corporate clients, or SMBs in general. Tell me a little bit about how containerization has started to play a, a, a big part, a big role in what you guys are doing. Well, these are actually services that we're starting to offer more and more. We actually do have a new product that's going to be launching uh, in North America anyways in the next couple of weeks called, um, well, it's just cloud computing in general. So it's going to be OVH's public cloud. Okay. Uh, yeah, involving containers in general. We already did have a company called Runabove as well, which is, does belong to OVH. And uh, we're opening this new public cloud uh, 
How long has OVH been around? How long have you guys been offering your services? Uh, well, in North America, we're relatively new. We're about uh, between three and four years old right now. Uh, in general, we're 16 years old with our head office uh, in France, located in France. Okay. And uh, what drew you to uh, what drew you to this side of the pond, so to speak? I believe business in general, and it's also good to have a DR location, I guess, for uh, any of your data across uh, from where it actually is. So, uh, yeah, pretty much uh, just opportunities in general arise, and I guess uh, our CEO decided to take them. <laughs> smart man, smart man. And then, of course, uh, you had to stop by the Ubuntu booth. They were there, too, right? The Ubuntu was one of my favorites, I think. We're here with Dustin from Canonical. As you may have heard of him, there's this tiny little company that makes a tiny little Linux distribution called Ubuntu. And uh, they have quite an impressive little booth. Uh, little things like the glowing Ubuntu power pack here. Uh, it's a mouse, actually. Oh, it's a ma- that's a mouse? It's a mouse. Oh, that's cool. How do I get one of them? Uh, it's on the Ubuntu store. Oh, okay. All right. So I can buy one. That's really cool. All right. Uh, so, Dustin, tell me a little bit about what uh, what Canonical is doing here uh, and why it was that you guys decided to make LinuxCon a priority and what all of this really cool stuff is on your table. Uh, sure. We've got a couple of talks this week uh, at ContainerCon, especially about containers. Our mm-hmm. container solution is called LexD, L-X-D, and we're demonstrating that here on the orange box. Uh, as well as on a couple of Raspberry Pis and a BeagleBone. We've also got the Ubuntu phone here as well. And you guys have your own case for the Raspberry Pi. We do. We do. That's the, uh, this is called the, uh, the, we call this the orange matchbox. This is the orange box. This is the orange matchbox. And, yeah, that's a Raspberry Pi running snappy Ubuntu. And we're running, there's a few dozen Linux containers running on that, that ARM system right now. All right. Well, we, now we've seen this box before, but tell me again, for those that maybe haven't seen it before, uh, what this box is and why it's so cool. Sure, it's a it's a portable cloud, a portable cluster. There are ten physical nodes on the inside of this. Uh, there's it's ten Intel nooks, five on this side, five on that side. These act as heat sinks. Each nook has four CPUs, sixteen gigs of RAM, and one hundred and twenty gigs of SSD. And so this box and a flight case uh, packs the punch of forty processors, one hundred and sixty gigs of RAM, and a couple of terabytes of solid state storage. We use this to demonstrate the power of Ubuntu OpenStack and clouds uh, at a very small portable scale. Um, this helps us demonstrate to someone what they can do with this at a grand scale in a, in, in a data center. What am I looking at here on the screen? Uh, looks like we're looking at Ubuntu OpenStack deploy. This is kind of the, uh, I guess, the, the geek's view of it. If we were to look at the OpenStack view... Or the graphical view, this is what OpenStack looks like when it's deployed. There's 20-something services. Every service is deployed inside of a Linux container, and those are spread across the 10 nodes inside of here. Now, that's the Ubuntu Orange Box. We've seen that at a few of the conferences now. Yeah, but listen to what he says coming up about when I ask him about the problems they've had with uh, Nooks in production. Okay. Outstanding. Um, as far as uh, as far as this device goes, you said it's, it's primarily built off of Nooks, right? I have noticed, in my experience, that the Nooks have some kind of weird quirks to it. Have you noticed any quirks as you built a box with 10 of them? Yes, and we've got uh, about 20 of these in the field, so it's not 10, but it's about 200 Nooks we have in service. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're quirky hardware. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very very cloudy, though. It's very much like the cloud. When one one goes bad in the cloud, you throw that instance away and start up another one. Um, When we need to replace a Nook, we can field replace this by ordering a Nook uh, off of Amazon and slapping a new one in. That's crazy. That's crazy that Amazon has gotten to that point where they are now cost effective enough that you're not ordering directly from the manufacturer that you're going, you know, through Amazon. And then you get, I bet you guys have a Prime membership. I think, I think we do. I think we do. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I guess uh, the Nucks are sort of buggy for them too. Th- they are. And what was what was I guess what was kind of refreshing about that is that is the only place I have ever seen in my professional career outside of myself or you that if, that are using Nooks in 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 wide production. production environments. Yeah, I'm sure there must be others, but I'm sure there are. But I haven't talked to them. And and you and I have wondered for a while. You know, when are, we have these they, weird problems, yeah. and, and to find out that yeah. yes, they have those problems, and yeah. they are okay with field replacing mm-hmm. them, that I at least I can breathe a sigh of relief and go, ah, yeah. I am a decent system administrator. Yeah. I don't just screw <laughs> everything up. There is a problem. We have uh, extended versions of these interviews and their video of the uh, of the uh, non of the non container. Although some of those talked about containers too. It's that the way the rage was. But we have we'll have these posted in the show notes if you want to watch them, and also up on the Jupiter Broadcasting YouTube channel. It is so Noah uh, walking away from LinuxCon. Um, yeah, it really does seem like it's container con is all the rage. It's big. It's really, really big. It's definitely the year of containers. And so I'm curious about the questions we raised. I'd like to hear from the audience. So go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link, and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown and send us in your feedback. Also, we might have some additional stuff in uh, this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. And last week's episode, episode 106 of Linux Unplugged, was live from LinuxCon itself. So you got our on-the-ground impressions. And it was also our first attempt of doing a live Linux Unplugged. So that's also kind of quaint, I guess you could say. You can find that over at jupiterbroadcasting.com as well. And Noah, that's Linux Action Show's trip to LinuxCon 2015. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But Noah, before we get out of here, we got some emails to get to. In fact, our first one is from Gary. It's about IRC on the video. He says, uh, not really digging the new format of the show. It's too much like podcast with some video thrown in. Watching others post comments while uh, waiting for something real to watch isn't going to keep me interested very long. Please go back to the real show. Gary from Michigan. So that was echoed um, by a number of people that the IRC is very distracting. And so, as you might notice. Yeah, Gary was very concise. But, uh, yeah, this week's episode, we decided not to use the IRC just because what the, the main comment was is that people were either getting... Uh, and interested in the conversations happening, and then I would switch to show you something, and I would break the conversation, and you would lose the conversation thread, or uh, the conversation was distracting from the content of the show. I think that was kind of like the two main... So this week we're trying something a little different. Uh, every episode we've been experimenting a little bit here and there to see what you guys think. So we really do want this to be a true audio show for you. We want you to think of it as something different a little bit than it has been in the past, and so we're willing to try different things, and it's just all an experimentation for a little while as... Uh, we are in our ninth year and want to just kind of try a few things before we hit uh, 10th anniversary on June 10th. So Tim writes in with our next one. You want to take it? He says, hey, Chris and Noah, I'm writing in to share my thoughts and opinion on your experimenting with audio only show for the past two weeks. I'm sure a lot of other people out there feel similar to me and they may or may not like to take the time to say so. I'm subscribed to the HD video feed through Apple's podcast player and I usually listen on my iPad. When I listened to last week's episode, I honestly didn't even realize that you weren't both on screen until you started talking about it on the show. I'm not at all knocking the use of live video or the value added by showing your smiling faces. I'm simply reiterating what you both probably already know, that video isn't critical for what you are doing. You fellows work incredibly hard at producing great content on a regular basis, and you should have the confidence to make whatever decisions are best for you and the show, and that help you prepare for content without breaking your backs to deliver it with a little extra flair. Please don't let the haters get your attention. I'm sure your audience at large understands and doesn't doubt that you've made a very thoughtful decision. Keep it up, and thanks for all you do, Tim. He nailed so many things yeah. on the head. Yeah, we've talked about it. We've been debating. There's so many things. You know, if you watch live, I think you get a little bit more of the picture. I would really encourage you guys, if this is a topic that you are personally invested in, like you really want us to do one thing or the other, I very much invite you to join us live. Because not only do we engage a lot more in a, in a more real-time conversation, 
But you get to witness some of the reason why we've made the switch. And uh, I think if you got to see it, you'd probably, you'd probably understand a little more. Uh, and so I, I invite you to join us. Uh, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to see the live, zone, live time. And then you get to hang out in the live show. It's a lot more show. It's a lot more show. So Ian writes in with our last email. And it is about Owen Cloud. He says, hi, guys. I don't listen to every single show, but I do enjoy trying to catch up on the podcast when I get the chance. A number of times I've heard you say that you've been burnt by own cloud, but you don't really elaborate on the issues you've faced. Uh, torch, uh, I'm sorry, touch wood on my own clouds, uh, touching on wood, my own cloud setup has been running smoothly on my Arch system at home for over a year. I've also been gone so far to recommend it. To, I've also gone so far to recommend it to the academics at the university while I work. Hearing your comments raises concerns, and I'd be very interested to hear what issues you've had and experienced. Many thanks, Ian. Oh, this is the second time this week that somebody has asked that particular question. Um, so I thought we'd hash it just for a second. Um, my problems have been anything, any files over five gigabytes, if I leave them in there long enough and I sync them across enough computers and I open those computers and close them quick enough, eventually something doesn't get sunk. Or if it does sync, it says it's sunk, but it is corrupt. And I haven't troubleshooted any further past that. I knew I lost data. I knew it wasn't working and I dumped it. And that's how far I went with it. I've never really had much problem with the own cloud server component or any of the web apps. My issues have usually come down to the own cloud client, and I believe more specifically, I believe it comes down to C-Sync, the technology the own cloud client uses to actually make the sync. Specifically, my issues with the own cloud where I had a lot of data. I moved I moved it up one level in the own cloud directory structure. Very well deep into own cloud, much still shared, still with all within the right user permissions, but I moved the folders, many of them with many videos in them, about, you know, probably 13, 14 gigabytes. I moved them up one level. The system treated that, I believe, as like a cut, and maybe because it was a cut action, OwnCloud decided it should undelete all of them, and in that action, this is my rough understanding, I don't guarantee you this is what happened, but in my rough understanding, when I cut them, OwnCloud put them in the undelete folder, which then duplicated every single file, thus doubling the space that this one directory used, filling up, potentially, the remainder of the OwnCloud storage. Once OwnCloud storage is filled, it ceases all sync operations, and so it failed to then sync the move. It just synced the cut, and then it stopped sync operations. It never moved the files. It removed the files from all machines, but never moved them anywhere. And because the sync operations had stopped, also the undelete functions had stopped, and essentially the system had seized on us. Where I think if C-Sync was a little clever, a little more uh, understanding about simple file system operation moves, perhaps that hadn't happened. Uh, But I never had any issues with, like, it's WebDAV, CalDAV, CardDAV, any of those kinds of functionalities. It's only been issues with the OwnCloud desktop client for me. I guess that's both of us then. Mm-hmm. Um, but needless to say, it's a huge problem and it's a show-stopping problem. And it's something that is going to can leave me looking for another solution until either OwnCloud starts working. And I'd be honest with you, this will be the fourth time I would have tried to put it into production and get burnt. I don't know if I have another fourth time in me. If I do, I have only a fourth time left in me and then I'm done. Yeah. So hopefully a solution comes out because I would like to be using OwnCloud. The concept of OwnCloud works for me flawlessly. The workflow works flawlessly. Everything about it is great, except... The core functionality for me doesn't work, and that ruins it. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of a bummer, man, because we both really are want, are, want to be big fans of it. If you'd like to send us your questions or your feedback, a couple of different ways you can do that. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click that contact link, and then choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown, or go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That's a great place to submit stories, app picks, project submissions that you think you could maybe get a spotlight, uh, news stories, feedback for, like, specifically we'll have a thread for episode 379. And it's also just a great place to give us a kind of an idea of what you think about a situation by leaving a comment. Even that is extremely valuable. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. I'll plug the live stream one more time, too. We do it over at jblive.tv. 
Recently, we've been doing it on Fridays. You can find out when and where in your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Noah, anywhere you want to send folks throughout the week? Yeah, both of us are on Twitter. I'm at Colonel Linux. You're at Chris LAS. Nice. The network is at Jupiter Signal. That's right. Follow us there to get news updates and things like that. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And I'll see you right back here next week. This is one of the major reasons why we have to go audio, is I'm really at the end of my rope with technical issues. Mm-hmm. I just want to do my show. I know. And yeah. I don't I don't want to do anything else. I yeah. don't want I don't want to fight the same problems over and over again that the only solution to them is for me to spend twenty five thousand dollars. Right? Mm-hmm. If I really wanted to do video and not have these problems, I need to get a hardware mixer. Mm-hmm. And that would solve my problem and I would be completely broke. So, and, you know, the other option is just focus on the content and make an audio show. And so this, this, this video crash is an artifact of a more complicated setup. Now this, there's room to, to streamline this. I can rebuild profiles. I can reload machines. I can throw more RAM in. I can change up video cards. Those are all in the hundreds of dollars range. I can make that work. But this is why we have to make a change because the old system, I, I have, I've gone beyond the point of, of, of breaking, I've, I've, I, my, my, it broke my back, and I just don't want to do it anymore. So, but I have, you know, this, this feels good. This feels right now. That, that crash problem, that took me right back to why, why we were right back here. Like, that makes me want to double down on this experiment because I just went right back to where, where I was when we were doing complete video every before every single episode. Yeah. <clears throat> See, and the sad thing is, is that will never hit the show. All this will get edited out. Well, we're not even recording right now. Well, but what I'm saying is, the people that download the show Don't will have no idea that any of this. No, they happens. just have to trust that we're making the best decision for the show, right? But what I, I, I couldn't go on doing that. Mm-hmm. I can't keep doing that. Mm-hmm. It just kills me, right? But they don't know that it kills you. As far as they're concerned, <laughs> we just took the easy way out because it's it's less effort or something. I don't know. It's kind of frustrating. So, uh, so since you wanted a deep explanation of what happened, so Chris was leaning over too far, and his beard got caught in the fans. And then the fans pulled his face, like smack dab into the back of the power supply, <clears throat> which then caused an overvoltage. And the overvoltage then sent a shockwave up through the table, which the computer is setting on, which then uh, started my Coke on fire. So I no longer had Coke. And that's a problem because I-, I need the Coke to keep going. And then it also, it really started the smell, which set off the fire alarms. And then those fell off the ceiling and, and actually hit Chris in the head, which that's, that's how he got upset. And then we had to undo all of that stuff.